spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Oh, are we spilling some secrets this week? It's episode 355 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Today is the day... You could see Amazon Prime Videos, Tell Me Your Secrets, the series just dropped, and guess what? So many members of the cast and the creator joining me this week. We've got Amy Brenneman, Hamish Linkletter, oh, so many others to tell you. Yeah, their secrets about this thriller, twisty, it's, it's just a crazy show. you got to see it to believe it for yourself. Tell Me Your Secrets on Amazon Prime Video. Plus, I mean, some big trailers dropped this week didn't it we'll talk about Corella, Mortal Kombat some big news about an Adams Family spinoff that I am so psyched to talk about but boy have I got a big surprise for you to start the show this week how about a spoiler free review an early review of the premiere of Superman and Lois we'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast Hi, uh, this is David Harris from Supergirl. Uh, you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. As far as I'm concerned, a series years in the making is almost here. It is the season premiere of Superman and Lois, which is going to be happening on the CW on February the 23rd, that two-hour premiere that's coming up. I was very fortunate enough to get to see the premiere early, so I'm going to give you a spoiler-free review of the Superman and Lois premiere, and I literally cannot reveal anything. You're just going to have to wait and see what happens. I can, I can give you my overall impressions, though, and that is that this is very much a family series, or at least the pilot is very much a family-driven pilot. That much I can tell you. There's a lot of heart and soul in this first episode, and that was my hope when I found out about this series and I found out that the twins were going to be a part of it and, and that, you know, it was going to be at the point where, where Clark and Lois are married and, and things happen pretty quickly in this episode. And I will say that they go through, they go through a lot of the stages of Clark and Lois's life in the very beginning and how they got to this point in this episode. So it's not like you just jump right in, and here we are at the current time period. No, they do go back a little bit. It's not a it's not a huge flashback though. It's not like you would see in other CW shows where sometimes you know you get flashbacks interspersed throughout the episode like we saw like we used to see on Arrow and things like that. No. We get the flashback, we get it right away. They give us some details, some major events happen, and then we get to the current time period. So, I think that that was a really really cool thing. That they did because it really sets the stage not just for Clark and for Lois, but for the family dynamic and where they're at. And and I will say there are some tough, tough moments for the Kent family in this first episode. I mean, a lot of tough moments. You so, and you think about Superman, right? And you think about what could be po- what could possibly be wrong in Superman's life other than the obvious burden of being Superman, right? Well, now he's not just Superman; he's a dad, and that was the beauty part of introducing Superman as a father in the comics was that now he had to balance this life. But now instead of having one boy like he did in the comics, there's two. And now you're dealing with teenage boys. And that is something that is on a whole other level. So, and to me, it's 
it's it's difficult to say you can make Superman relatable, right? Or you can make the the relationship relatable, and they really do that in this episode, I think. And, and there were there were parts of this episode that I related to as a dad, and and, and I I can't say why, but there there are certain elements that that I definitely found myself relating to, and there very there were a couple parts of this episode that were very emotional for me actually, and it also. This this dives into some dynamics of the town as well of of Smallville. There's some stuff that happens that involves Smallville that I can't, that I can't tell you about. Don't worry. There, I say this is a family driven pilot, and it very much is. There's also a lot of Superman stuff in this episode. Don't worry about that. There's there's action. There's definitely a very interesting plot line involving Superman. In this episode, we get to see some very familiar names, some very familiar characters, a couple of which have already been announced that that, that you know about. And, but it's it's funny the, the relationship that that Clark slash Superman has with one of these characters in particular is very very interesting. And you'll know who it is when we get there. I'm going, oh wow! So there at that point, there it's not really as contentious as I thought that was going to be. That's interesting. At least I thought it was. Anyway, you'll totally understand what I mean when when you see the episode. This will not be a mystery to you when you actually watch it. But what my favorite parts of this episode were just watching this family just sort of evolve over the course of the hour plus extended episode that we get for this premiere. There there was just so much going on. Now, don't get me wrong, the action was great. We we have an adversary I don't want to say that there's necessarily a big bad, but there's, you know, someone that needs to be dealt with in this episode and that there's a lot of intrigue there. There's a lot of interesting dynamics with other characters as well. And there's there's a great dynamic between the two brothers as well. Jordan and Jonathan, the, the, the way that they're very different, but at the same time, it's it's like your typical brother's relationship right especially the fact that they're twins you know they're, they're the same age so that's the, the there's a special bond there automatically right but you also see their differences at the same time it's it's like you're watching a just a normal family that just happens to have supersized issues and supersized problems and i mean that both literally and figuratively but so much happens in this pilot that creates so many different storylines that this is one of the more solid pilots that you're going to see for a series. And I think actually continuing after this to build on this story is going to be the most difficult part and the biggest challenge for this series because you started off so strong and you created multiple plot lines that are interesting and that I certainly want to follow. I think you're going to want to follow too once you see this episode, can you follow through on all of those things and make it so it's not jumbled or you're not, you know, focusing on one thing and not quite focusing on another so it's it sort of loses out in the shuffle? How this show can balance its multiple very interesting and and just emotional storylines, I think is a huge key to this series. There, there's so you wanted a Superman series with heart and soul, and we got it. Tyler Hoken, Bitsy Tullock are amazing in this series. The, the the brothers amazing as well. There's some other characters in here that that create very interesting dynamics that I can't really 
discuss. And there is one name in particular that you're going to hear in this episode that will make things very, very interesting throughout the season as well. So I could say you can breathe easy because this Superman and Lois premiere, I think is everything that you're going to want it to be and more. And I cannot wait for you guys to see it coming up on Tuesday, February the 23rd at eight o'clock. Don't forget two hour special premiere of Superman and Lois on the CW. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Superman and Lois. Up next, how about we talk about yet another series, For All Mankind. Season 2 has begun on Apple TV+. We'll get into that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Josh Gates from Expedition Unknown, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The Space Race heads to the 80s. For All Mankind's second season has begun on Apple TV+. I want to give a spoiler-free review. Of the premiere. I know it came out, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. You might not have had a chance to watch it yet. So here's the deal. Here's how much I can tell you is that the series does jump to 1983. You probably knew that already. And it does make a few changes to history along the way. Reagan's still president. I'll tell you that much. But there's other historical events in the world that were changed, not just in the U.S. And I, I think it's funny because you feel like, okay, You know, what if you went back in time and made certain subtle changes, right? How would it affect the future? Well, that's kind of what the show is all about, right? Like the Soviets beating the United States to the moon is the basis, uh, is one of the basis of the series, right? So, you know, you change other certain little events. How does it affect what things might have looked like? And that's kind of one of the things that we get to see in this second season. Now, The Jamestown settlement has grown quite a bit, and you'll see that coming up in the second season. That, again, shouldn't be a surprise. The episode actually starts out with a lot of good vibes, though, both on and off of Earth. Everybody seems happy. Everybody's having a good time. And as you can imagine, that changes not quickly, but, you know, throughout the course of the episode. We really still get to dive in, though, to the political ramifications really ramping up in this season, especially with Pathfinder and a very specific concern that Margot has. And I, I can't really say that I blame her a whole lot on that. And, and But again, not going to spoil anything. You also get the Cold War tensions between the U.S. and the Soviets that play a role here. And and you, you see that and how that affects NASA and what's going on and something very specific that happens in this episode that really has folks worried And you can imagine if that's something that actually occurred at the time, what would have happened? Now, Gordo, if you watch the first season, you know who Gordo is. He kind of gets some surprising family news. And that's going to be something to watch throughout this season as well. You also got Molly. You know how how difficult Molly's first season was. Well, the second season going to be challenging as well. This is a new challenge, though. Tensions are at a peak, let me tell you, by the end of this episode. It's a slow ramp up to sudden something suddenly happens and the mood changes sort of thing. And then it just sort of slowly goes downhill from there as far as the tensions go up and the good vibes go down. Let's just put it that way. Baldwin, Joel Kinnaman's character, still kind of a douche. I mean, if we're being honest, right, that, that's kind of the role that he plays on this show. But it seems like one thing is certain. Everybody wants what's best for these astronauts, it's just a matter of, you know, who's right, who's wrong, and who's going to end up having their way, basically, in what's going on. But it's it's just interesting. It's not 
that bureaucratic, but you can see why certain things can get done and certain things can't get done and how things have to go about being done as well. The thing I like about this is is that, yes, the show focuses on the political ramifications and the, the tensions that are going on between the United States and the Soviets, but it also gets into these character-driven points, like what's happening with Gordo and his family, what's happening on the Jamestown settlement. There's some family issues there as well. With what's happening with Molly, because they, you know, you establish Molly's a survivor, right? Well, we'll find out if she is or not in this second season. And you've also got other things happening back on back on Earth. And you basically, yeah, everybody's trying their best to do what is best, but what is best and how is it going to play out? And is paranoia going to get the best of you? Sort of. Th- that's part of it, too, right? Because that was part of the part of the Cold War as well was was paranoia. And how is that going to factor in to this season? And I got to tell you, there's the thing that happens in this first episode that, that kind of throws everything off and, and kind of makes everybody, I don't want to say panic, but, you know, be worried. This is something that could cause hysteria if this were to happen. So it's something to look at and to consider. And it makes you, it does make you ask that question. And a show like this should do that. You know, what if this is actually how things went down, right? What if this is actually how history played out? And I think that's one of the beauty parts of this series. One of the reasons why, yeah, you should probably be watching For All Mankind on Apple TV+. Plus. You get caught up on the first season. Only the first episode of the second season is dropped because, hey, they they have a weekly release schedule for the show on on Apple TV+. Plus. So it's good. You could take a weekend and get caught up. And then there you go. You're right there with everybody else and ready for the second episode next week. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of For All Mankind Season 2, Episode 1. Up next, going to dive right back in to tell me your secrets. My interviews with the cast and the executive producer-creator of the show is up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Zach Kaplan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. There is a new mystery thriller on Amazon Prime Video right now. It's called Tell Me Your Secrets, and boy, are there plenty of them in this series. So I thought, yeah, we need to definitely dive into this thing, get you a better idea what you're getting into. So I got a chance to talk to a lot of members of the cast for the show this week. Also, going to actually start things off with the creator of the series, Harry Warner. And I mean, who better to give you insight into what the show is about than Harry herself. So let's take a few minutes with her. Harry, thanks for taking the time to do this today. And as I'm watching this show, tell me your secrets. To me, it felt like, like when you're doing a puzzle, you feel like you've got the right piece and you totally don't have the right (laughs) piece at all. So what was it like putting this show together? Oh, that's brilliant. That was my sort of ambition, really. I, I wanted it not to, not for the sake of it. I just, I, but I wanted these characters to take us places and our audience to be surprised by them. And, and their decision making and their decision making to to have a have a goal have an aim but obviously be hugely influenced by this unfolding event story around them and i think it's it's great to have goals and points but when you see something happening on the page to let it flow and let those characters go and obviously i, I always had a very very clear sense of what i wanted to achieve at the end but but yeah that's great that that you you felt that because that is that is my that was my intention. 
Excellent. Excellent. I want to get to, to Emma or Karen, however you want to call her in just a second, but Amy Brenneman is, has always been a wonderful actress. I've never yeah. seen Amy Brenneman like this ever. What was it like wow. watching her transform into oh. Mary Barlow? James, amazing. I mean, she is one. Um, I mean, Amy is an incredible woman and a huge, hugely demanding of, of the work. And she went so deep with this character. We had the most amazing conversations where I had my version of Mary. I had, you know, where I wanted her to go. And Amy would, my God, she would drill into it and bring layers of mythology that you know, I absolutely fell in love with, but she brought so much of that. So she, she's fierce and amazing. And she, it was, it was to answer your question, incredible to watch her transformation. And I think that character of a kind of fierce mother who really, you know, will go further than, than even she thinks was a really exciting journey. And, and Amy just, she went for it big time. So in the beginning, Emma or Karen, however, whatever you call it, she was the hardest character for me to figure out, but she was also mm -hmm. probably maybe, maybe one of the most interesting. So what do you think drives Emma? I think she tells herself it's for peace. I think what really drives her is a, is a far more primal need, something that she really needs to return to. I think what drives her is to in a really strange way, be the best version of this new identity, this new person. She she has a real need to become less flawed. I think she she has a need to recover her judgment. I think her judgment is hugely, hugely questionable to her that she could have loved this man who was so clearly dangerous. How can you love someone and not know that? I think she really, she really struggles with that. Really quickly, Harry, before I let you go, John's probably the most interesting character to me in the entire series because, I mean, since the very beginning, you put it out there like, okay, he's a predator, go, yeah. sort of thing. So without spoiling anything, tease for us a bit, how much will we, will we see his story evolve as the season goes on? Hugely, hugely, James. He is, um, like all these characters, I kind of, you know, they all have equal weight at different times. And we we really go on that journey with John. And he, you know, his quest is redemption, but there are a lot of triggers on his path. So we will follow a man who who aims for the best version of himself and, and really the, the struggle with getting there. So it's a very satisfying journey for, for him as well as, you know, Emma and, and Mary. It's a great show. Can't wait for everybody to see it. Harriet, thank you thank so much you. for your time. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you. Well, I mean, I certainly talked enough about him with Harriet, so let's just keep the conversation going now with Amy Brenneman, who plays Mary, and Hamish Linkletter, who plays John. Amy, when we first see Mary, she's a grieving mother. We've quickly come to find out that it's way more complicated than that. So how would you kind of des to, to describe her and how her character evolves throughout the season? I think Mary goes from being a person who thinks that she's on the right side of things. And obviously losing a child is one of the worst things anybody could imagine. So she has a lot of public sympathy, understandably. She's helping others that have been through the same thing. But then she becomes um, obsessed with uh, with the path of finding her daughter. And she she is not actually the virtuous person that maybe she thought she was. And then you look Hamish at John and you we automatically are kind of told that it's the opposite of that, right? Like he's a predator, he's a bad guy, but it's not 
quite that simple either. So how did you feel about him as you started preparing for the role? You know, I, I did sort of take it on as a, as a, here's a guy with an addiction problem. And I just try to make it real simple. I, you know, I don't think as an actor, I'm not very good at like putting on the mustache and twisting it, you know, like I'm playing the bad guy or something like that. I would try to figure out, you know, try to say like, what's the moral universe of this person? And how can I make positive choices within that moral universe? It's going to bang up against other people's moral universes in ways that are going to be probably pretty bloody and good television. So I'll just stay in my lane. And um, my lane is figuring out how to, you know, one day at a time, one step at a time, control what I can. And then unfortunately, I meet Amy Brenneman's character. And there goes my control. Exactly. That actually leads me into my next question, because we know that your characters are connected. So really quickly, how much can you tell us about that relationship and how they actually feel about one another? I think ultimately, John is the person that understands her the best. And that is horrifying to her. I think she's she's intimate with him in a way that she has never been because she, listen, she's a top world gal, right? She has this persona of good mother. I run this foundation and that's how people receive her. And so I think her secret is like, it's she's she has this really dark vengeful piece that's ruthless and violent. And I think that John sees that and um, understands her. And so she feels seen by him, which is, um, so she kind of loves hates. It's like a rom-com. Yeah, no acting required, basically. <laughs> that's, a, that's a horrifying way to put it, but I think that, that, yeah. that's incredible. That's incredible. Well, you guys are both amazing in the show. I can't wait to see, for, wait for people to see what's going to happen because you guys have no idea. Amy Brenham and Hamish Linkletter, thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to kind of keep it in the family now. I'm going to give you one more, and it's Elliot Fletcher who plays Mary's son, Jake, and he's got some really interesting insights into that relationship. Check it out. So, Elliot, it feels like Jake's surrounded by people who either have a ton of secrets or are always on edge. So, I mean, it's simple. How do you how does it feel to be the most level headed one in the entire series? <laughs> you know, uh, no, it feels it feels good. I, 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 you know, reading the scripts, I always was sort of waiting for for something to be revealed about Jake that we didn't know. Ultimately, I'm so I'm so glad that he was the voice of reason and he was sort of the level headed one. You know, he is he is such a sweet guy and he's so he's so based in in trying to help his family and trying to help his mother and yeah he's doing the best he can so yeah <laughs> i was that actually leads me into my next question because you know he tries to be the good son but it's really not that and not an easy task to say the least with his mother so no. what do you think he sees when he looks at her i think he sees grief primarily you know i think he sees just complete and utter grief and loss and i don't know just uh, sort of self-isolation you know i think he tries to reach out to her and tries to be as much a as much of a a, a helpful and resourceful and caring son as he possibly can and and a lot of the times he's just met with rejection because she's so caught up in loss and and grief and retaliation that she can't see anything beyond teresa so it was it's hard it's hard for him to 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 get to really get what he needs from his mom and, and try and help his mom do what she needs to do. It's, it's tough. 
do you feel like that also keeps him from being able to grieve his sister properly as well? Because it feels like there's a push and pull there. It's like, okay, we, we should be grieving her, but at the same time, this is also tearing our family apart sort of thing. You know, I think in the moments that we don't see of Jake, I think he is trying his best to grieve the loss of his sister. I think, you know, there is definitely sort of a push pull uh, between his mother and his father. Clearly his, his father has decided that Teresa's never coming back. She's, she's gone. She's gone forever. She's dead. Um, but his, his mother is so invested that no, she's alive and we need to find her. And so I think, uh, you know, being the son and watching that sort of disagreement, it's difficult to find a middle ground. I think oftentimes Jake is playing sort of the, the middleman or the mediator trying to help both of them find a space uh, where they can coexist and be happy again as a family. I think uh, I think he thinks that a lot of his family's happiness sort of depends on him, but there's nothing much he can do because his mother is so wrapped up in herself. So when Jake meets John for the first time, it's definitely an awkward moment in the show. So no spoilers, of course, but tell us about that meeting a little bit and what was going through Jake's mind in that meeting. I think from that meeting uh, Jake takes on a very protective role. I mean, as we can see, I, I mean, I, that happens in the first episode. So I think we can talk about it. You know, he's very um, adamantly against bringing John on and, and, and so seemingly as his mother. And so I think it comes from a really protective place of, you know, remembering who his sister is and remembering maybe what she's been through and not wanting to bring in someone that, could be capable of something like that onto into a space in which he cares so deeply, not only for his mother and his sister, but for all the people that he, they are supposed to be helping. I mean, the trust is not just for Teresa, it's for all missing persons and people who have lost loved ones. I think it really comes from a place of being the protector or wanting to be the protector. Really quickly, Elliot, before I let you go, everybody has their breaking point, especially in this series. So without spoiling anything, Jake says he's okay, but could we see him get pushed to his limits as well? Maybe, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I I think so. And I think especially if we were to get a second season, we could see some real character breakdown from Jake. Ooh, already teasing season two. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Elliot, thank you so much for joining me today, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And make sure you're watching season one of Tell Me Your Secrets on Amazon Prime Video so we can get that second season. And that's happening right now on Amazon Prime Video. Next week, I'm going to give you my review of the series. And I'll also give you our our next interview in this. It's with Kiara Alaria, who plays Rose, and Ashley Madwake, who plays Lisa. We'll hear from them next week on episode 356 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. But until then, make sure you're watching Tell Me Your Secrets on Amazon Prime Video. Up next, it's time to dive into the world of comics. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Niciesa, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're in the danger room or in the jungle, whatever you're reading with, it's time for what we're reading and going back in time a little bit with X-Men Legends number one from Marvel Comics written by the great Fabian Niciesa. Brett Booth with the pencils at Elso Corona on the inks, Guru EFX on the colors, VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters. Now, these stories are actually based on classic X-Men continuity. This particular story actually takes place right after X-Men number 39, which was in 1991. 
And this issue actually focuses on Cyclops and Havoc and the return of the Shi'ar. And they really have an axe to grind. And they're, they're, I'm not going to really spoil anything in this issue, actually. I know it's been out, but I'm not going to do a whole lot of spoilers here. Very few. So everyone seems to be looking for the Forsaken One. That much I could tell you. And, and they're looking for this person for different reasons. Now, since this has a direct effect on the Summers family, time is kind of of the essence because of something that Eric the Red does, which Eric the Red is part of this issue. Now, they do find this Forsaken One, and he's very much more than they first realized. And there might be a particular reason why something that happens in the very beginning of this issue ends up happening based on a reveal that we get at the end. Now, this book really, to me, was a nice change of pace from what's going on in the current X books. There's nothing going on, and there's nothing wrong with the Hickman verse right now, there's nothing wrong with the story about Krakoa and all this other stuff. They've actually done a really good job with that. And I think that that's probably the the best kind of modern take on the X-Men that we've had in a while. So I think they're, do, they're doing a good job with those stories and the tie-ins. But at the same time, this is a good way to look back and remember why you fell in love with the X-Men in the first place. It's like we wouldn't be with this. This current story wouldn't exist if books like this one didn't exist before it. And and that's not a bad thing, by the way. This art, The art really gives you the nostalgia vibes more than anything else, honestly. I mean, the story itself is good, but Brett Booth and company and the, and the, the, the art that they bring forward here, especially with the design for Cyclops, I mean, it just, it really took me back, and I loved it. It's easy to forget, though, how intense and action-packed that the X-Men books of the 90s could be they really bring back that vibe as well so yeah let's have more of these x-men legends number one from marvel comics give me all of this because i gotta have it another reboot coming to valiant comics and valiant entertainment savage number one hit the shelves this week with max bemis doing the writing here nathan stockman on the art triana farrell on the colors and hassan osmonte alau on the letters hopefully i finally got that name right Marcus Stone and Rico Renzi with an amazing cover. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to spoil this one a little bit, unfortunately. Now, Kevin Savage is a viral sensation on the streets of London. And he's not really that happy about it, though. He's not on his island hunting dinos anymore. It's more like hunting followers at this point. He misses his old life, though. I mean, the, you know, you ditch the loincloth for skateboards and, and, and baggy pants and stuff like that. Maybe it's just not for him. Being social media famous isn't for a kid who just wants to kill dinos no matter what his brother says. Okay? So, but but here's the deal. You know, the old saying goes, right, you know, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. You get a little bit of that. And without spoiling anything, you get a little bit of that. In this issue, for sure, and Savage finds that out the hard way. The end result is actually where the intrigue starts, though. And I, by the end result, I mean what happens in the last couple of pages of the book. But a lot of this book is basically just, you know, Savage being like, yeah, I didn't ask for this fame that was given to me. But here it is, and and I guess I've got to, I guess I've got to do something with it. So, I don't know. There's a lot of setup. For where he's at in this issue in his life and, and character wise. Surprisingly, although there's also a lot of action mixed in 
as well, whether that be in flashbacks or otherwise, and I can't tell you why, but I'm not sure I describe the mood, though, in this book as teenage angst, but you could kind of argue that the brother speaks for the reader in a certain way where it's like, dude, shut up. You're famous for almost no reason whatsoever, and it's working out for you. You're getting endorsements. Yeah, you're not having to, you're not in a jungle you know, killing dinosaurs anymore, but you know, you you kind of got it made here, kids. So if you just pay attention for five seconds, your life would be a lot easier. Or is it because, you know, that happiness is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? So the, again, look, we're talking about it right now. And that's one of the points of this issue. So, you know, what's there to be upset about? I guess that's up to you to decide. And I guess that's one of the things that's going to lead us in to the second issue. The art, pretty darn good in this one. I really like the, the dino designs that we do see in this to get very creative. There's also there's some very cool stuff in there. there. There's some shocking moments with a historic landmark, too. I could tell you that much right now. You, there's plenty of historic landmarks in London, though, so it's not like I'm spoiling anything for you there. I will say that I'm on the, I'm on the fence about this one a little bit because I think... The, the best part of what the story could be is actually moving forward because I get the whole, yeah, okay, you're trying to ground it in reality, modernize it into real life, right? And it kind of works, but I actually think that taking this book off the rails a little bit with what might be happening at the end of this story might actually be where the fun starts. So I'm going to go ahead and get, I'm going to give this one a pass for now, I'm not saying I didn't like it because I did. I liked it, didn't love it. I could love it, though. If it gets a little bit funky in this second issue and gives me something a little bit different, which I think it's going to do, then I'm on board for this new Savage reboot from Valiant Entertainment. I just need to have one more issue to know for sure if I'm all on board or not. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. How about we get a little bit of nerd news in because there's some big stories to talk about that I'm really looking forward to. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Chin Han from Ghost in the Shell, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Pretty soon you're going to be able to make any day a Wednesday. It's time for nerd news. And I don't know if you consider this the biggest story of the week or not, but damn it. It is to me. A Wednesday Adams series is going to be coming to Netflix, and I'm super excited about this, not just because I love the Adams family, and Wednesday is such a fan-favorite character, one of my favorite characters over the years, but how about this? Tim Burton is going to be directing this series, his television directorial debut of the in eight episodes of this season of this first season and Tim Burton is going to direct it. Could you pick a more perfect person to take on a older Wednesday Adams than Tim Burton? It's actually going to be a little bit of a comedy as well and it's actually going to follow Wednesday and her days in the Nevermore Academy and there's going to be you know, emerging psychic abilities that she has. She's going to have to thwart a monstrous killing spree that terrorizes the local town and solve a supernatural mystery that's embroiled her parents 25 years ago. And that's part of the synopsis that was released by Netflix. She's also going to have to navigate 
the relationships between, you know, that she's created with her classmates and, you know, maybe more at Nevermore Academy. So we will be dealing with a older Wednesday Adams. It's going to be a young adult series. It's going to be almost like a dark comedy. I don't know how exactly the dynamics going to play out, but if you've seen anything that Tim Burton's ever done, I think you kind of get an idea of where this series could be going. No word on casting yet or where this is going to go. And But again, the age is the key here. And, you know, you could think of some big names, sure, that could play Wednesday Adams. I don't know that I necessarily want to throw any of them out there. But at the same time, I kind of feel like this, this is going to be a role that's going to go to someone whose name we're not necessarily familiar with. So I think that, you know, and if Tim Burton's going to be a part of this process, then I'm all about that as well. And we're also going to see the showrunners, Al Goh and Miles Miller, who did Smallville, are going to be the showrunners for this series as well. So really looking forward to this. Hopefully it's as good as I think it's going to be. Production, of course, not starting anytime soon. So we're going to have to wait a while for this one. And I'll keep you posted as we get any updates because you you know you can hear the excitement in my voice how excited I am about this so I cannot wait to see what's going to be happening with this Wednesday Adams series how about we talk about the big trailers of the week and there was a couple of them start with Mortal Kombat the reboot of the live action movie it's going to be coming out in theaters and on HBO Max on April the 16th and how about this this trailer is first of all full-on red band trailer right so rated R we know we're going to get that and just a, a few, I'm not going to break down the entire trailer just you know line by line, but there was a lot, a lot of intense action in this. And we get to see Makad Brooks as Jax. I had forgotten he was even playing Jax, and that is awesome. And you get to see that moment between he and Sub-Zero, where Sub-Zero freezes his arms and breaks him off. I was like, whoa, okay. So that's how it's going to go down. And that's right in the beginning of the trailer, too. And I quite frankly think this is going to be the most badass Sub-Zero that we've ever gotten. As much as I like the original live-action movie, it didn't really do Sub-Zero much justice, right? Certainly more so for Scorpion than Sub-Zero, at least I thought. And, you know, there's been animated adaptations. And, you know, in the game, he's been, you know, pretty badass as well. But I think this one is going to take Sub-Zero to another level. It looks like we're going to get... A little bit of a live-action origin story for Scorpion 2. We saw that in Scorpion's Revenge in the animated movie that Warner Brothers put out. That was fantastic. If you've never seen that yet, looks like we might finally get that in live-action. And yes, we get to see Sonya. We get to see, I think, I saw Reptile in this. We've got Goro, Shao Kahn, and stuff like that. Shang Tsung, of course. We see kung lao there's just you just name the list right it's almost like you're picking from the character screen also melina looks like she's going to be ridiculously ruthless we only get to see her for a little bit too but she looks like she is going to be ruthless in this movie i think that they're actually going to go for more of a story here than we've seen from Mortal Kombat adaptations in the past. I know that the, the you know the the modern uh, Mortal Kombat movies, I mean excuse me, video games have gone more into like a story mode and getting gotten more in depth into that. We haven't seen that as much in live action for Mortal Kombat yet. I think we're going to get that this time around. And you know, who's going to be the main hero? 
of this movie that it's, it's hard to say at this point. You, usually it's Liu Kang, right? We don't know that for sure. I love that we get a, a snarky Kano in this as well. There's just so many things to love about this first trailer. And we waited so long. So this had to live up to the expectations, right, of us waiting for this thing for so long. And I think it certainly did. So knocked it out of the park with this first trailer. Can't wait for April 16th to get here to watch Mortal Kombat. Another sneaky good trailer this week, I thought, was Disney's Cruella live action. Emma Stone going to take on Cruella DeVille, and this one's going to be out on May the 28th in theaters. That's the plan right now. Of course, with everything going on in the world, we'll find out if that's going to still be the case later on. But, I mean, one thing I didn't really expect is this to kind of follow the punk scene in 1970s London. So I think that that automatically creates a really cool vibe, right? And you get to see almost like this high society war behind the scenes sort of thing, right? It's almost like a fight for positioning in society is what they're getting. And you get to see Cruella, and she's, you know, she certainly evolves as even the trailer goes on, right? Now, I know with Maleficent, they kind of tried to, when you, you did that Disney villain story, you made us feel sorry for her, right? You kind of humanized her a little bit. You kind of, you know, made her almost a hero in a way. It doesn't seem like that's where they're going with this Cruella movie. Because, I mean, remember, this is a woman that wants to murder puppies. She's not a good person, right? You could still, you know, appreciate a good villain, but at the same time, you know, it's hard to, you know, redeem someone who likes to kill puppies. So, you don't want to like her sort of thing, right? So... How is this movie going to play out? And is, and is it going to be a, is she, was she driven to be the evil woman that she is that we know? Or was, is there more to it than that? Or was she just always evil? And that's the kind of, kind of what this trailer is getting at, right? She's like, I've always been bad. I've always been evil. I've always been cruel. That's who she is. And that's what the trailer is telling us that she is. Now, will that play out once the movie comes out? I don't know, but you get to see almost this mentally broken Cruella in this trailer. And Emma Stone, is, who is a legit good actress, is really bringing that out, even in, in, even in the short scenes that we saw in this trailer. So I was excited about this when they announced it. I think that I'm a little more excited now after seeing this trailer because I want to see how exactly they bring out the story and how exactly... They portray Cruella because if they just want to make her evil from the jump, I'm all for that. I mean, obviously, that we'll probably get into at some point when she was younger, right? Then she decides this is who I want to be sort of thing. So we'll see how that plays out. This is something I did not expect. It was a little bit of nostalgia from DC Comics this week. How about the fact that we're going to be getting a Batman 89 and Superman 78 comic book series? Of course, it's going to be part of DC's digital first so yeah we're going to get the burton verse in one and we're going to get the donner verse in the other with batman and superman respectively now the art from joe quinones above for the for the batman 89 comic was pretty fantastic the story is going to be told by sam ham who of course was one of the screenwriters for batman and batman returns so you bring that back. We're also going to bring back Catwoman for this story. There's going to be a new Robin and apparently even Two-Face is going to be involved 
in this story as well. So we're getting stuff that it's almost like a, okay, if Burton had kept making the Batman movies, this is what we might have gotten. So this is something that I think a lot of fans have wanted for a while. How could this story have been told? And it's being done by the screenwriter from the movies. So you can almost get that sense of, okay, so this is where they would have wanted to go. It brings that authenticity to it. I really, really love that they're going to do that. And as far as Superman 78 is concerned, Robert Venditti is actually going to be doing that with Wilfredo Torres. Now, Torres did Batman 66. He did the art for that. So no stranger to nostalgia there. And we know how good Venditti is. And it's going to be, of course, inspired by Richard Donner's Superman, the movie. And it's going to go back to when Lois didn't know that Clark was Superman. The world is kind of still in awe of Superman's abilities. And, you know... Which villain is going to try and spoil that? That's the question that I have for this series. It's going to start in on July 27th, so, you know, going to be a ways away. The first six chapters are going to drop then, and then it's going to be weekly after that. Then we're even going to get a hardcover in October. Print comics will be in August, but a hardcover in October. That shows a lot of confidence on DC Comics part, but come on. Isn't this a hardcover you'd want to add to your collection? Because odds are you've got a soft spot for these Burton movies, and you've got a soft spot for Superman 78 as well. I I think that this is a very, very smart move by DC Comics, and I think this will really give their digital comics line a shot in the arm. So I'm really looking forward to when these things come out. Here's something I'm not sure about, and I think that there's a lot of fans that feel the same way, because during Winter TCAs, HBO Max had their presentation, and yeah, there was some animation. There was, they're teasing, you know, basically 300 hours of animated programming, which, you know, sounds great, right? And then you see, remember that Aquaman animated series, King of Atlantis, that was going to be done by James Wan, and it was going to be... This, you know, Arthur's the just become the king of Atlantis sort of thing. And well, during this redraw your world presentation from HBO Max at the winter TCAs, we got a little bit of a look at Aquaman and Mira from this upcoming adaptation. And I'm saying this tactfully and slowly as I can, because it's the same animation style as Thundercats Roar. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, you'll get a chance to see it, okay? It's... I want to go on record first before I say anything, is that I didn't hate Thundercats Roar, okay? I actually thought, you know, obviously was it a different take on Thundercats? Yes. Was it a little goofy? Yes. But it was what it was, and it wasn't apologizing for that sort of thing, right? So, it looks like... We could be getting something similar with this Aquaman series. Do I think that this is going to be a little bit more intense than Thundercats Roar was? Yeah, probably. But, I mean, you're also talking about a synopsis that's talking about unscrupulous surface dwellers, elder evils from beyond time, and his own half-brother that wants to overthrow him. So that, to me, says, that's from the official synopsis from HBO Max, That, to me, says this one's going to be a little bit more serious. But then you look at the animation style, and fans can't help but think of Thundercats Roar, which was not very well-received by a lot of fans. Again, I didn't hate it, but wasn't very well-received, and fans just were not very vocal about not liking the animation 
for that. And now here we have the same style of animation that is brought into this Aquaman series. And one thing that I have to worry about about this is that Warner Brothers and DC seem like they took a lot of care, and especially DC Comics, which started the whole thing, in legitimizing Aquaman, right? Making him not the joke that he was back in the Super Friends days, right? First of all, I was always an Aquaman fan. I didn't care that nobody else seemed to like Aquaman as much as I did. I loved Aquaman. I thought he was cool. I thought what he could do was cool. And, you know, I ended up being right at the end of the day because Aquaman's a badass now. But if you do this, right, if you give us almost like a Teen Titans Go style of Aquaman, and I'm not saying that's what they're going to do because we don't really know that for sure yet, right? We don't know anything for certain. But if you do anything to make Aquaman more of a laughing matter again, I feel like you're walking back all the work that you did to legitimize him in the first place. And that's one thing that I am concerned about. Normally, I wouldn't have a problem with this. I really wouldn't. If you want to do a sillier version of something, I'm not going to sit here and tell you you shouldn't do that, especially if it's targeted to a younger audience. I've got no problem with that. But at the same time, you you did all this work to make Aquaman this fierce character and this serious character, and now you're risking walking that back for what? I don't know that that's worth it for this. And this is supposed to be a three-part series, but if it's not well-received, I don't know that they get that far. And like it or not, there's going to be some fans that aren't going to give this a chance just because it looks like Thundercats Roar. And is that okay? Is that right? No, I'm not going to sit here and say that that's okay and that you shouldn't give something a chance just because of how the animation looks and if you don't like the animation style. Although when you do animation... That plays a role in it, right? You have to like the animation style to want to watch the series. That's part of it. You just have to understand that. So I think that this is a bit of a gamble. I think that they need to put out more footage as soon as possible to dispel any fears that fans might have. But, you know, we don't know how right around the corner this is either. And they're not just going to throw out a trailer or something like that just because. Although... Based on the fan response that I've seen on social media, you're going to want to get out in front of this sooner rather than later. Am I going to give it a chance? Of course I'm going to give it a chance. You know me. I'm going to give everything a chance. But I am very concerned about where the direction of this one could go now. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks so much to the folks at Amazon and everyone from Tell Me Your Secrets for joining me this week. Make sure you're watching the show. It is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video, dive into this mystery. It's such a great show. It's going to keep you guessing. It's intense. There's so much going on. I can't wait for you guys to dive into it. If you want more from us, make sure you're going to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also following along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter, on Instagram, and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.